The following episode of Annals on Call is brought to you by Annals of Internal Medicine. The views and opinions expressed by the hosts and participants during this episode are their own and do not necessarily reflect the views of the American College of Physicians, the editors of Annals of Internal Medicine, or the institutions that the speakers are affiliated with unless so identified. All relevant financial relationships have been mitigated. Information contained herein should never be used as a substitute for clinical judgment. For more episodes, links to CME and MOC, or to view disclosures, visit go.annals.org slash oncall. Those people who, who delayed starting the Paxlovid for a couple of days were less likely to have rebound than those who took Paxlovid immediately. Welcome to Annals on Call, a podcast based upon articles from the Annals of Internal Medicine in which we discuss the implications of the article for you, the listener. This is Dr. Bob Centaur. I'm Professor Emeritus at the University of Alabama at Birmingham and former chair of the Board of Regents for the American College of Physicians. This episode of Annals on Call features an article titled Rebound of COVID-19 with Nirmatrelvir Ritonavir Antiviral Therapy. Joining us on the podcast is the author of this editorial, uh, Dr. Myron S. Cohen, who is the Jurgen Bate Eminent Distinguished Professor of Medicine, Microbiology, and Immunology at the UNC Gillings School of Global Health, Public Health, and School of Medicine. He's also the director of the UNC Institute for Global Health and Infectious Diseases. We hope that you will better understand the concept of rebound and perhaps how one might try to avoid rebound in patients who receive this antiviral medication. Mike, thank you so much for joining us on the podcast. I found your editorial very enlightening after reading uh, the article on Paxlovid rebound, and I'm going to use Paxlovid rather than Nirmatravir, Ritonavir, because I can't say it. But let's start out with why are are they using two drugs in this package as a treatment for COVID? Uh, That's that's a very straightforward question. There, the when they were used, the active drug is the M. I'm not going to try and say the name either. Okay. And the M drug is the active drug that that has a really good antiviral effect, demonstrated against COVID. But in order to uh, obtain the levels that their uh, experimental studies, their preliminary studies uh, suggest were necessary, they needed to inhibit metabolism through the liver. So they're giving a metabol an anti-metabolite that had been developed during the HIV era called ritonavir, and it simply raises the, the blood level and almost and the tissue levels, um, consistent with what they believe is the best dosage package. So the, the study that you wrote the editorial for talked about rebound. And so I think a lot of us are, are unclear exactly what rebound is. So let's talk first about what rebound is and what what the study tells us about that. And then we can talk a little bit about what are the risk factors for rebound. Being in my 70s, I've had a lot of friends who had rebound. Is that because they're older? And so maybe you can you can help us better understand what this rebound thing is. Yeah, it's an important issue. People who get COVID 
uh, most of them, obviously the vast majority, will have an illness that's been well characterized and described, and people suspect they have it, and they get better. And then some percentage of people, and that's going to be what we'll discuss in more detail, some percentage of people after a few days will have a, a, a second, either to one of, they may test positive in a kind of a random test they do of their nose. So the virus has been recovered, at least the antigens of the virus, the parts of the virus have been recovered, or they may become symptomatic a second time with a positive test. And, and that second illness is what's referred to as rebound. And it was really, even during the early studies conducted with Paxlovid and with some other drugs, during the observational studies of, of SARS-CoV-2, COVID-19 infection, it was observed that some people had this rebound uh, result, but at a low probability, and it didn't really dominate the literature. After a few days, a second illness, positive COVID test, and usually that illness is mild and self-limited, but doesn't have to be. And uh, if I remember right in this study, the people who got the active drug as opposed to people who didn't take that drug, were more likely to have both have symptoms and have virus found. Correct. It's so this was a this was a really well done study. So let me let me let me congratulate the authors uh, of the study because it's very difficult for a variety of reasons to get any data. And let me let me start out first by saying let us not diminish the importance of for many people using an antiviral drug and Paxlovid or NR we'll call it Paxlovid. Is, is a really good antiviral drug, a really excellent antiviral drug. So I don't want to diminish the mm-hmm. benefits as we discuss uh, the better med- better or the potential for improved med- medical management. <clears throat> and this study uh, published in the annals was not the first. It's one of many studies, some smaller, some anecdotal, some of somewhat uh, not as big as this, but of, of reasonable size. All these published studies, suggested that the people who take NR-Paxlovid, that, that those people have a greater risk of rebound. End of story with the, with that study. Now, let me give you a fundamental problem with, with t- trying to do these studies. The people to whom NR is given are special, but almost by definition. Since we're not giving NR to everybody, we don't have a control group. There's no randomized control trial. There is an observation. And the observation in this case is one group compared to another group. The group that gets NR has more rebound. The group that doesn't get NR doesn't have a rebound, very rarely. But they're not the same people. And it's not randomized. This is the beauty of randomized controlled trials, which is missing from the entire NR literature. It's not missing from the original studies that Pfizer did, right? In other words, their original study was randomized, right? So it's not fair to say it was never studied randomized. But they weren't really necessarily focusing on subgroups of patients who might be more likely to have rebound, right? It, it, it says if, if you're doing a study of all the possible mm-hmm. users of the drug and you're not focusing on the very people that were studied in the, uh, enrolled in the, or, or observed in the animal study, you really are comparing apples and oranges. I hope that makes sense. Oh, absolutely. And w- what are these apparent risk factors uh, as best as, as they could uh, observe? Yeah, they did. They did a pretty careful analysis, and there's a couple of different ways of looking at risk factors. First, they they examined the 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 things that got people NR. They looked at who got NR. Not surprisingly, it was older patients, immunosuppressed patients, patients who they believe the uh, healthcare providers believe were at greater risk for rebound. Then, when they they looked at at who had rebound, 
I think the the thing that struck me the well, there are two things that, that they identified through multifactorial analysis. One of the things was those previously vaccinated, and I'll come back to that idea in a second because it's a, kind of paradoxical. And the second issue, or those well vaccinated, we'll say, and the other issue um, had to do with how quickly you took the drug. So let's explore, if you don't mind, let me explore both those things. I think the vaccinated idea is not because vaccines are bad. It's because they're a surrogate for people who are choosing to be heavily vaccinated because they realize they're at greater risk for progression of SARS-CoV-2 disease. So then they present with disease, they're heavily vaccinated, they still need Paxlovid. So I, I see the vaccination as a, as a surrogate for risk. The second issue um, beyond that, that is the days, and, and this gets interesting, it's those people who, who delayed starting the Paxlovid for a couple of days were less likely to have rebound than those who took Paxlovid immediately. Now, a very, very bright guy at Los Alamos, who you might imagine as a mathematician, uh, explored a mathematical model of why that might happen. And his argument had to do, his argument be kind of stated as follows. When you don't, when you let Paxlovid go a couple of days, you kill off more target cells in the nose and perhaps other tissues through the natural infection. And by the time then you start treatment, there are fewer of these cells available to be targets if there's some residual virus that regrows. That was his basic argument in his article, which I thought was interesting. The thing that has also been explored that I think we we can never dismiss what we can say is less likely is that when you take Paxlovid, you compromise the immune response. So you put yourself at greater risk for rebound because the immune response that would have protected you from rebound is not present. However, pretty careful studies of small numbers of patients with immunity showed the NR patients had pretty good immune response, even in the in the face of NR. So it's, a, it's an interesting, this becomes a really interesting problem for practicing physicians, which is why I wanted to write the editorial, because it, it makes a difference to practicing physicians. We, we As we adjust dosages and doses schedules and who gets drugs and who, who don't, that's like the nuts and bolts of implementation. That's great. And we'll, we'll get back to that in a second. But uh, one of the things I really liked was your speculation on why rebound occurs. And there apparently Perelson, uh, and, and I don't know uh, Dr. Perelson, but what are those findings that uh, made you think that there are some reasons for rebound? Well, well, that's the he he explored the literature available to him, which wasn't the Edelstein article. It was all the earlier articles. It wasn't the article that you published or Anna published, and and from that those earlier articles, he made this mathematical model, which I just indicated, argued that taking Paxlovid too soon makes rebound more likely. Then he speculated about why it's more likely. This is all speculation having to do with the benefits of killing off some of the target cells early and then taking back slowly. Now, of course, this is inconsistent with what infectious disease specialists like to do. We want to hit hard, hit early, right? So we don't like to let people go with an infection because we don't know the there's a couple of consequences of that. Maybe you're more likely to progress. We don't know that. And you'll remain contagious longer. We don't know that. Flip it around. And if you get rebound, as published in the study in the annals, uh, you remain contagious for quite a period of time. It sounds like there are two possibilities to decrease rebound. And the first, we have to decide how bad a problem is rebound. But if we wanted to try to decrease it, we might start, say, once we diagnose you, let's start your Paxlovid tomorrow or start it two days from now. Uh, 
Uh, yeah, no, I, I, well, first of all, that um, you, you, that is a really credible idea. Uh, you know, like, and in fact, in my own mind, it's like as I'm prescribing Paxlovid, commonly. I'm often now thinking of doing exactly what you suggested, depending on the patient and where they are. Most patients are not, like for me, I'll make it a little personal. I had SARS-CoV-2 in a situation where I wanted to have no signs or symptoms for any length of time. I took Paxlovid immediately, like five minutes after I took the test. And another friend of mine did the same thing, and we both got rebound. Now, that's just anecdotal, right? Sure. If I was going to do it again, I might say to myself, you know, wait a day, wait a day or two, because Alan Pearlson, the guy we're talking about with the mathematical model, is extremely bright. And the, the article in the annals had independent of Pearlson's article, the same finding, right? Less likely if you waited a day or two. The other thing that you speculated, and I think this is interesting, is perhaps five days is the wrong duration. Well, this is a very important but sensitive issue, right? How do you, how do you decide how much drug to give and how long to give it, right? So the how much to give, I think, could be calculated pretty well from animal models and in vitro testing. How long to give it, I think uh, we're not privy to everything that the company thought about. But in the article that they published about their what's called QSP modeling, they, they cited... Um, Experience with monoclonal antibodies, which which are another topic. Mm-hmm. Monoclonal antibodies, of course, however, are very long lived. Right, once you give them, you you gain benefit for weeks, if not months. So I don't. I, I was a little bit troubled by that, and many experts have argued um, that a longer course might reduce the probability of um, of rebound. Now. Getting back to Dr. Pearlson and his model, which is just a model, he argues he doesn't believe that to be the case. But many experts believe a somewhat longer course would, in fact, uh, be a benefit. Now, let me say that I personally took a somewhat longer course, but that was possible because it was the drug was still available through the U.S. government. So many, many experts have taken themselves have taken a longer course, but the government has now got to be purchased and it's a five day course. And that brings us to a really big consideration. Is this or is this company exploring um, in more detail um, other courses? Right now, one thing I know that the FDA, I believe, I believe the company was doing well. Should I be giving a second course of treatment? That's that's one example, and, and another example is a study in Europe of five versus ten days in compromised hosts. So, so a lot of groups are into this and trying to understand. And uh, you do mention in the editorial that it's not free anymore. Correct. Uh, as it's got formal approval, the government doesn't want to pay for it. They want to turn it over to the insurance market, Medicare and Medicaid. And then Pfizer then is allowed to and has generated a cost, uh, a price. And I don't know, you know, I don't know the exact price and what would be the negotiated price, but it's not free. So now, you know, you can't just walk into a pharmacy gently and get it. I think there's a lot more. Um, uh, there'll be uh, the, the use of Paxlovid will be certainly subjected to greater scrutiny than it was when it was free from the government. You suggested in your article that it was something like $1,300. Uh, the, the, the web, I, I think the, the web tells you what they believe the price is. I'm yeah. sure that organizations negotiate the price. I'm sure insurance. So I think it's unfair really to say that this is the price. But right. the internet suggests that this is the ballpark. You also mentioned something that I think is worth all of us being aware of, that there's another oral protease inhibitor 
and citrulvir. Yeah, I have trouble pronouncing it. So I'm not you. Yeah, that, this has been developed by a company called Shinogi. <clears throat> They've been they're in the fast FDA fast track, which is good because competition is good. And um, and they they did a study that suggested that they saw less rebound. Now the drug has a longer half life. It's around mm-hmm. longer. It also has the benefit of not requiring ritonavir. It mm-hmm. doesn't require an anti. The, the ritonavir problem is it, it can compromise other forms of, of, of therapy. So that drug will probably be available in the near future, I would hope. And and that it may or may not have, but there's a suggestion it might have less rebound. Less rebound, yeah. Well, the suggestion from, from their published abstract this summer at a European meeting. Okay, so to summarize, and and I'm gonna I'm gonna offer a summary, and I'm gonna let you critique it. Um, <laughs> Thank you. The NR is a successful drug that helps people who have a, a new diagnosis of COVID, and if you want to decrease the risk of rebound, maybe waiting a day or two before starting the drug. Uh, from the time of diagnosis might decrease the rebound. We don't know what it's going to do to the course of symptoms uh, from COVID, but that's the decision that uh, physicians and the patients are going to need to be thinking about from here on forward. Yeah, I think that I think that's a there is certainly no when we say is there data to prevent to, uh, to support that it is in fact the Annals article that supports that idea. So the question is how much a healthcare provider will weigh that against the possibility that they'll see worse progression of disease and more days of contagion, more days of contagion. Now, for the health provider, it's like since most cases, but not all cases of rebound are mild, they may still prefer to see rebound rather than take any risk of a worse course of disease because it's not like 100% of people who take Paxlovid do well. And it's not like 100% of people with rebound do well. It's, a, as I've said several times, really important antiviral drug should be used very commonly. But still, we need to maximize the management, which is what I think the Annals of Internal Medicine is trying to do to help internists and other physicians uh, maximize the management. Well, Mike, thank you so much, because I think that anyone listening to you discuss this will do a better job of maximizing the management. Thanks. And let me let me just add. Can I add one thing? Although you've you've this is after we should note a couple of other things. There is another drug that we haven't talked about called molnupiravir that's just not used as much, uh, but it's available through Merck. And there's still a great interest in developing. There's another drug, remdesivir, which is given IV, uh, but can be can be given to outpatients if there's the uh, ability to do it. We don't know much about rebound with remdesivir IV because it's just not used that much. And then monoclonal antibodies, which are very long-lived, really didn't, as far as we know, have any rebound problem because they're around for a very long period of time, but they're all gone because of resistance. But companies are trying to make new monoclonal antibodies. So for the practicing physician, what can they look forward to? They can do what you suggested, really think through, am I going to get Paxlovid or not, and how am I going to do it? They can have a couple of three other drugs already available to them, or two other drugs, molnupiravir and remdesivir, and probably that third drug, the and tresselvir soon. And they can look towards the possibility there might be monoclonals available, either IM or IV in the next year or two. So I think COVID's a dynamic. It's not going away. This is with us. Okay, just like flu, COVID mm-hmm. is with us forever. And so 
it's a topic that's worth, you know, worth talking about. Now it's time for Bob's Pearls. This interesting discussion of rebound from NR, also known as Paxlovid, brought up some very interesting points. First is how difficult it is to study rebound. Second, how good the article in the Annals of Internal Medicine is. And third, what probably is the most modifiable risk factor for Paxlovid rebound. And that is those who took a delay in starting the antiviral were less likely to have rebound. I had heard that this was likely true about a year ago, and this study uh, confirms it. And thus, we have the difficult decision of whether to start the medication immediately and decrease the symptoms in the short run or wait a day or two and decrease the probability of rebound uh, in the future. Dr. Cohen nicely lays this out, and hopefully this will help you in making decisions with individual patients. Thank you for listening to our podcast. Information contained herein should never be used as a substitute for clinical judgment. For more episodes, links to CME and MOC, or to view disclosures, visit go.annals.org slash on call.